Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week so uh, check this out and if you like it go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes they're a lot of fun so thanks again for listening Um, here you go starting us off in dc's hanna-barbera line is exit stage left the snagglepuss chronicles number one uh, this is done by written by mark russell who did the uh, flintstones stuff that i think both of us really enjoyed yep and I did not uh, find this as good as, as, as Flintstones, to be honest, uh, by a noticeable margin. Yeah, it's a lot, uh, maybe a little slower of a burn or, or something's going on. It's it's not quite as uh, biting and subversive of satire. And um, yeah, it, it doesn't work as well for me either, at least this first issue. Yeah, and I'm hoping it's a slow burn thing, because I was wondering if it's a matter of this is just a longer form story than the more done-in-one kind of Flintstone stuff. And it certainly seems to be setting up a, a bigger picture thing with the, the House Committee on Un-American Activities and such. And, you know, I, I, I get that. It makes sense. It seems like a timely thing to do now. Snagglepuss is an interesting choice as a character for that kind of a story. Not a Not a bad choice, certainly. But there were a couple of things in this where my mind was was always kind of wandering off in in some directions other than the the main narrative of the story just because of the nature of this world it's a it's an anthropomorphic world snagglepuss is a playwright he's married to uh, lila lion whom i'm not an expert on the snagglepuss cartoons i don't remember if she was there or not and in this, it's kind of, is she really his wife? Is she just playing the part? A little bit of both. Definitely uh, he, a beard. She's yeah. definitely a beard. Because yeah. cause he's got a gay lover. Yes. But I think he's actually married, though. So she's, like you said, the the beard in that respect, but they live together, it looked like. Where it got kind of really weird for me was early on when we got the play that he has produced. It's on its final showing or whatnot. And we see... A scene or so from it, and we've got one actress, which is his his wife, who's who's a lion, opposite a human, and both are wearing fake noses and ears. And there's a part of it that it kind of makes sense, but it makes me question a lot of things about this world in terms of are lions and hippos and all these other hounds and all these other kinds of of anthropomorphic people. Second-class citizens, are they not? Would the whole fake nose and ears to be as if you were a, a, an animal-ish human or whatever they would be called here? Isn't that kind of speciesist or something? There, there was a part of me that, that saw that and it's like, isn't that almost like doing like a, a, a routine in blackface or something that would be potentially hideously offensive to some people? Or do they just not have that kind of discrimination or whatever in this world? And there were other places that implied that they, they they kind of do have that kind of prejudice or whatnot. It, it was hard to tell. Yeah, it did seem like their people and animals were living side by side, and so when they were acting, they were acting like these 
versions of animals, and so they both had masks. Yeah, it, and that, that scene went on a little too long too. Um, I, I like, I like, I, or or I missed why it had to go on so long to hammer the point home. I, it, it there was a lot of that, and um, where I thought Flintstones was subtle mm-hmm. and made its point uh, with a quick jab and then back out to the story. And this one, I think, is just really mired in it. It's mired in its messaging. You know, there's a lot of social commentary going on, and it's just living in it. And so much so that it feels um, like there's really not much of a story here. It's all about how awful is society. Isn't society terrible? Are you saying there's more social commentary here than in Flintstones? Um, More heavily applied social commentary and less effective i would think because it's not there's no spoons full of sugar to get it to you you know the the story is not as interesting to read as flintstones was and then oh by the way you get a really biting satire uh, that adds to it should you choose to enjoy that aspect of it and whereas this is more uh, there's an awful lot of social commentary here and there's a little bit of story and I don't know if it's just the first issue or, or not, but it it was a little too heavy handed and and applied a little too thick. I thought, I think for me, it was a little too much setup, not enough payoff Uh, in few uh, one or two regards. I felt it was too subtle and there were one or two things that, you know, about halfway through, I'm like, Hey, wait a sec. If you go to the opening page where we're outside the theater, we've got the crowd, we've got the, I guess, dog cameraman, he's the only one that doesn't have pants. Yet if you look in the lineup, there are one or two, like, cat or dog people, they've got pants. Everybody else, like Snagglepuss himself or whatever, is in a bit of a a medium shot or whatever. So it's not until a good ways through that we get the next anthropomorphic character uh, from, like, the waist down to realize, wait, in this world, they don't have pants, which is a cartoon thing, so it's okay. But um, now I'm that, that's where my mind starts to question this reality a little as to how does it work? What are the rules of it? And I'm not saying either is right or wrong, but that's one of those where it was inconsistent. Snagglepuss has, you know, fingers and, a, you know, a opposable thumb or whatever, yet the horse police officer just has a hoof. You know, how does he get like that, that uh, envelope of, of bills or whatever, because presumably he's on the payroll or whatever on the take. How does he actually pick that up? So there's there's logistical things that have absolutely nothing to do with the story that, that were continuing to hang me up. Um, the kind of cameo by Huckleberry Hound was interesting. It didn't really add anything to the story, but that's how I felt about a lot of these things. Things were happening. I didn't feel that they were particularly as social commentary-ish as, say, all of the, the things on uh, organized religion and stuff in Flintstones, among other things. You know, how organizations uh, like unions form or the stuff about armies and stuff like that. I felt there was a lot more, and maybe it was just more effective to your point, but more social commentary in Flintstones yeah. in any given issue than I felt we were really getting here. Well, I mean, think let's, let's say that first issue of Flintstones had every single theme that was satirized through the 12 issues, and they were all touched on in that first issue. That wouldn't have been effective because it was it would have been overload. And that's what I think we've got a lot about the house 
an un, un American activities here, which is probably going to be a through line for a little while mm-hmm. um, because it looks like he's going to get called in on that. Oh yeah. Well, we've got, we got some stuff with the Rosenbergs and, and the, these, the people that are, are affected, not affected by the real life, the real tragedy of these people dying, but of, of other things and, and concerned about televisions. We've got Dorothy Parker who, you know, had a, a, a searing wit and, and was a, was somebody who, in, you know, inspired Snagglepuss. Mm-hmm. And when, and as she's, she's aged, she's kept that searing wit, but it's not as appealing anymore. You know, she hasn't really evolved and there's, there's something interesting there, but it, it, it gets lost. It gets a little lost because of all these other things we're bouncing around and doing. And then we've got, he's, he's got his, his secret life that he's off to. And, and, and there's, um, there's just a lot of competing themes in this first issue. And that could be taken a lot of ways. Some people might say that there's laying a lot of groundwork for a lot of different ways for this, to, this place to go. The story can go in a lot of different directions and that's great. Um, for me, it just was just, almost too little of everything and not enough of one thing to really get a sense of what they were trying to say. Yeah. I guess I took it as they were setting a lot up, whether that's good or bad is debatable. I didn't see most of those as themes so much as stuff that was happening. Cause I didn't feel they delved enough on any of them to, to get them to the level of theme other than the house on American activities, which seems to be like the through line for the, at least the first arc. Or, or I think maybe Parker this is a mini series. I think Dorothy Parker will return. Uh, I think um, we'll come back to her again. Which one was she? She was the uh, writer he had dinner with yes. or whatever? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Algonquin Roundtable um, and the inspiration for him becoming a playwright. I think she and, had gone through the American Activities process already was my take on that. So I definitely think she's part of that and will return. But I could I, – I don't know. It's – I don't, I don't think that was her because there was – there were well, a couple she people. was not the one going through it at the time. That was the Rosenbergs. She had but already done it. From the way she was talking, it's like I, I've I've seen this before. Yeah. So whether it was literally the un-American activity stuff, or you know, I'm sitting this round out kind of a deal, I don't know. Um, but there were a lot of those things where a lot happened. A lot was sort of set up, but I didn't feel there was enough payoff in this issue. Again, uh, uh, this is a mini series. Um, whereas, uh, Flintstones felt like more done in one sort of a thing. And I, I, this isn't the Snagglepuss I remember from the cartoons and I'm not claiming I've got a clear, perfect memory of him. I'll be honest. Before I read this, I pulled up YouTube, did a quick search on Snagglepuss just to, okay, this is his voice. This is what he sounds like, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and he's a defined enough character. They were actually able to, to use him once or at least once on, uh, the old whose line is it anyways? With one of the newscast segments, it's like, okay, yeah, you're Snagglepuss, you know? And, and the guy caught the voice of the character. Whereas here, there was nothing about this that, that even harkened back to either the necessarily the mannerisms, the speech pattern, or the, the character from the cartoon. No, it was almost as if someone had seen this character and said, oh, he, he has an, an affect to his voice. Let's, Let's um, expand that to could he be a southern gentleman that is a gay playwright? And uh, okay, let's tell a story about him. That's his backstory. 
And it was almost like they just made these leaps. Of, um, that, yeah, because because in Flintstones, you're firmly rooted in the Flintstones that you know. Yes. This Whereas, is not the Snagglepuss that you know at all. But the Snagglepuss character seemed like he was Southern, seemed like he was of culture, not necessarily a playwright or whatever, but had the theatrical bent to him. And uh, be it maybe just the pink coloring or whatever of, of that cartoon character, there was the is he gay or not at least question. But it felt like here there was a... It was all lost on me back in back in those days then. It all went over my head. I was in the same boat, but I think if you look at it now, you could you could at least see where they were drawing some of these aspects from, potentially. Okay. I don't think it's, oh my god, he's definitely gay or, or not, but it's... He had just enough of a lisp, a lisp to his voice and speech pattern that... It's a. It's not that he is gay, but he's almost stereotypical gay, if you will. And I think the two are actually fairly different in many respects. With this, it almost felt like they had a story they wanted to tell about the House on Americans activity thing. And, oh, you want to do a Snagglepuss story? Yeah, I can make that work. And I'm not saying that is what happened. It just, it, it feels like there was a, I've got a story I want to tell and you've got a character you want used situation going on here. How do we get him? How do we get the 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 chocolate and the peanut butter and the peanut butter and the chocolate? Kinda. Uh, yeah, it's like if they really wanted a, a Yogi Bear story instead, we might have had this, but with Yogi, I don't know. Well, I, I don't. I don't think this is bad. I I think the bar was set high by the Flintstones. I yeah. was enjoying that a lot, and it was really working for me in a surprise and and taking a a, a cartoon character. It, a children's cartoon that may have aired in prime time, um, but it was it was a children's cartoon and, and mm, made it. Made it was it an a, animated version of the Honeymooners. I don't think it was necessarily aimed at kids. I could be wrong on that. For Flintstones, it's Nagglepuss, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't know any adults that were watching it, but okay. You um, weren't watching it back when it was first airing, I think. Probably not. Probably I don't think not. you're old enough for Flintstones. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever saw it when it actually aired. Um, I think I just saw it on in re, where cartoons are are shown. Yes, which is mostly kid stuff. So, um, but I don't know what I was going where I was going with that. But uh, it's not it's not a, it's not bad. It just doesn't work on the level that Flintstones worked for me. Um, I think it's 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 quality art. There's quality ideas in here. The writing is solid. It's this this particular first issue. Um, felt a little flat for me because of I, I didn't feel it was as focused. I, I would agree with that. I felt very much the same way uh, to your point that Flintstone set a high bar. Absolutely. Uh, I was uh, a bit trepidatious about Flintstones before reading it, but every issue had some, some meat on the bone in terms of social commentary and a story and what's going on. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I was expecting that level here. And I think, and again, I'm hoping it's more that it's a longer form story than more done in one like Flintstones. I felt this was more set up than payoff. It, it's not that it was shallower. It's that it was not, again, to your point, it wasn't focused. I didn't come out of this thinking, wow, they really, you know, uh, did a riff on this, that, or the other. They covered a lot of ground. A lot happened in here, but not to the sense where I came out of it. Wow, this is amazing. Or this is crap. It's good. But I was hoping for better, and um, I felt I consistently got better on on Flintstones, which I think is a natural point of comparison, both because it's another Hanna-Barbera property and because it's by the same writer. For me, um, I want to see where it goes, but I'm going to go with like a B- on this. Um, 
it's it's not great, but it's 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 not bad. Yeah, there were some there were some issues of Prez also written by Mark Russell, mm. uh, and it was um, it, I I like Prez a lot more than most of my contemporaries did, um, but there were issues where he got into uh, word that it was getting canceled, and there were some, some rushing going on. Yeah. And, he was he was shoving a lot of things in in an issue that and it didn't work as well, and and so some of those issues worked better than others as well, and um, so that's definitely not the case here. <laughs> it's issue one, uh, but but he but I have experienced this with this writer before, just not in the Flintstones. Yeah, I'm again. I'm I'm hoping this gets better and that we're getting yeah. part or chapter one of like a six part or however many part story this mini series is. Whereas again, Flintstones, it was more done in one and there's just a different tempo to it. So yeah. I may have just gone in with the wrong expectation there. Yeah, I gave it I gave it a B minus as well. I'm gonna stick with it. Um and I, I didn't I didn't read the like the zero issue that was the backup feature in one of those crossovers that they did. And there was so there was a, a Snagglepuss uh backup feature in, in one of the crossovers and I missed that one. So I might go back and check that out and see if there was something in that that kind of um, set the stage a little bit more. Do you remember which one that was by any chance? No, until you mentioned it, I'd completely forgotten it existed. And now that you mentioned it, I'm wondering, which one was that? I know I must have read it. Yeah, it was like, you know, there was like Suicide Squad crossed over with somebody. and It might have been um, the Suicide Squad one, actually. Um, Okay. I'm pretty sure it was not the Elmer Fudd one. Because I think it would have really stood out to me that they didn't go anthropomorphic for the Batman Elmer Fudd, whereas no, it they definitely wasn't that one. No. Where they did here, um, yeah. So it might have been the Suicide Squad banana splits, and there were like these little smaller stories in the back, backup features, and one um, of them had the Jetsons. Yeah, yeah, and that's where the Jetsons launched. Yes. All right. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I'll have to go look that up. I think. If you do, uh, let me know what you think, because that may be enough for me to, to go back and reread that. And I don't know, maybe it'll improve my opinion which, of this, maybe it won't. Which box is it in? I have no idea. <laughs> but I can look that up if I know what issue it is. Okay, well, that's cool. As I'm putting stuff into Comic Collector from Z Collector or whatever, I am putting which box they're in. Nice. So I'd, I'd have a little digging to go do. That's not to say I can go necessarily get to the box, but, you know, one problem at a time. <laughs> is it worth reading? What is it? And then we'll deal with that. Yeah. That having been said, shall we move on to our Marvel comic? Yes. This is Guardians of the Galaxy number 150. This is part one of the return of Adam Warlock, um, which is, I guess, part of the Infinity Quest story as they've put it on the banner here. This is uh, wrapping up the Guardians of the Galaxy series, because this is the final issue of it. And it kicks off the Infinity Countdown storyline. Um, Adam Warlock is, of course, a key player in the whole Infinity Gem storylines of years gone by. So him coming back makes sense. And Drax and Gamora were members of the Infinity Watch with him. So, I mean, there's a little bit of old Holmes week or whatever. But this is also the final issue of this Guardians of the Galaxy series. So they finish off kind of the Nova Corps versus the Raptors storyline, which pretty much wraps up, but not in, you know, the the, the nicest of, of, you know, conclusions of, oh my god, it's definitely over. I expect we'll see some of these characters on both uh, sides again. I felt we finally got a little bit of good payoff of having the Scott Lang Ant-Man on this team. 
brilliant payoff, but he at least does more than, hey, I'm just trying to be away from Earth for a while, which didn't really work for me. I, I, I thought it was a bizarre use of the character, given how much they built up his own series, his relationship with his daughter, and other stuff. I, I don't think they know what to do with the character. Um, the other character I am certain will be back at some point, don't know where, don't know when, don't know how, is going to be that, that uh, Scott Adsit Nova character. He used to be a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. back in the, the Deadpool comics a few years back, but transferred off-planet to work with the Nova Corps, and I think get away from Deadpool. Didn't totally work out for him. And that character is actually based on an American uh, comedian, actor, writer, which uh, what surprised me is he's not the actor I thought he was. I thought it was going to be the actor who'd actually been a Nova member in Guardians of the Galaxy, the movies. But, you know, hey, whatever. This whole Infinity Countdown thing, I haven't really paid too much attention, but it looks to be yet another quest for the Infinity Gems, Stones, Small Little Mountains, or whatever they happen to be now. Uh, I got mixed feelings on that. It makes sense to do the storyline with the whole direction the movies are going in. But is it an event thing? Is it not? What's going on? I don't know. Uh, if you haven't been reading this series, um, obviously not a great point to... To jump in, but it acts as a little bit of a zero issue for, I think, an actual zero issue they're going to have for Infinity Countdown or Infinity Countdown Prime, or I don't know how they're counting up or down or starting the whole thing off. Um, it's definitely, though, doing double duty of wrapping up what's going on with Guardians so they can transition those characters into the, uh, the Infinity stuff going on. It was good, it was, uh, it was fun for what it was, but... There's an aspect of moving chess pieces in setting up the event here, or non-event if it's a non-event, whatever. I didn't feel that it was a great end note for the Guardians of the Galaxy series, I guess is what I'm trying to say there. No, no, it definitely wasn't. I was kind of hoping for a little more um, uh, cinematic feel. Um, I recently watched uh, the second Guardians and was pretty excited about the property. So coming into this, you know, I was kind of hoping for that same, at least kind of sensibility and some of the same characters. And I got a few of them, but it took a while to get, get to a character that I'd just seen. And, and, and then some of them didn't show up for, for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's kind of a bummer. Um, and I hate to, uh, cause I don't, you know, the books that I've that I'm longtime reader on, I, I don't want them to incorporate the cinematic universe into it. But the stuff that I'm casual about and I just want to sample, I want it to be familiar with what I've just seen <laughs> on the screen. And I don't I know I can't have it both ways. Um, well, if they base the movies more on the comic, you can because then they don't need to change the comic. True, true. Uh, the artist has a bit of a Drax problem. He um, he draws him. Um, as he, as in, in the Marvel handbook, he's a 900 pounds or so. So he's a, he's a giant being. And then his height fluctuates through the, the series or through the, the, the pages. And sometimes he's like just a couple inches taller than, than star Lord. And sometimes he towers above everyone. So, um, he probably needs to get some consistency there with that. That being said, it, that doesn't, that's just a nitpick. It just bothers me a little bit when. When he when his size changes so so drastically, but that's not a big deal. I thought I thought um, Rocket Raccoon was fun in um, his short amount of screen time. I did enjoy the Ant Man in his his a rescue attempt. That was that was really fun, and mm -hmm. I really like I really like the 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 artifact of 
a little tiny speck and then blowing that up to showing showing him kicking the guy in the face. Yeah, um, I, I like that. They can go to that well as often as they want. Um, it really works for me, and I and it's it's Libra esque and it's Aha esque, and it it really works for me. I, I I like that that way of doing things. Um, most of that this other stuff, I I I don't care about the warlock, and I don't care about um some of this other infinity stuff. Um, I'm going to go into that movie cold. I think um, when we, when we start talking and, and not, I'm not going to be a part of the comic version. I just, I think I'm just going to stick with the cinema version because it, I feel, it just feels like it's, it's going to be a long, slow d- slog in the comics. And I don't think I want to play around with that. So I just kind of, I read it, but I don't really care about that part. Um, Did again, you, did you read the Infinity Quest and all the other old uh, stuff? No, with- okay. No, that was that was never into um, that sort of stuff at that time when it was out. It, um, it's great and, stuff by Starlin. So yeah, yeah, just not for me. Okay. Um, yeah, there was a time where I didn't like any of the Avenger stuff at all or anything in that vein. So yeah, we, it, I, I just I just steered clear. Um, and yeah, as a, as a one fifty, I also was kind of had some expectations that this would be kind of a celebration of the team. Um, each maybe each character would have its time to shine a little bit, and end on a you know kind of a you know team go team go or a walk off into the sunset at the very least or something something like that. I was kind of I had that in my head, and it, it never really got there. I mean, it was a nice moment with Drax left behind, but that was about as close as we got uh, when he he had that moment, and that was that was kind of nice for him to get a little bit of peace. But um, other than that, it it didn't quite mac- meet the expectations I had, um, rightly or wrongly. I can understand that. This is one that is a little bit neither fish nor fowl. It's not really totally an end to the Guardian of the Galaxy series, although it ends it. And it's not really just a, a kickoff of the new story arc or event or whatever. So it was a little bit of a confused thing there. And they did, what, five issues with the legacy numbering and then the series ends? I think this is the first end of a legacy numbered title that we've had out of this legacy stuff. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't understand the the decision making processes that Marvel makes um, when it comes to things like this, because you know they're they're planning a, a Guardians three. I mean, I would have I, I have no idea why you would not have a Guardians on the shelf all the time um, when it's uh, one of your hotter properties. It would I mean, I I I don't get it. I I don't get it. I mean, y- you own it, you profit from its. It, it's sale in a variety of forms. Why would you take it off the shelf for whatever reason? It, yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, I mean, I get the X-Men stuff and Wolverine stuff. I get that if you don't own it and I get the fantastic four thing. If you don't own it, I can understand that, but these don't make any sense. They should be out there and they should be trying to capitalize whether it works or not. They should be trying to capitalize on the synergy of between the, the different mediums. I think they're trying to, by doing uh, some Infinity stuff that has maybe some of the Guardians, maybe some of the Avengers and stuff like that. I don't know. Um, But it says something that this issue ends on kind of a reveal and actually has some pretty interesting Easter eggs on that last page. But it was such kind of a blah issue 
that that really didn't even kind of register on me when I was reading it. It's just, oh, I, I guess this is over, and uh, I guess it'll be continued elsewhere. Oh, on the next page. Oh, it's going into the event. Okay. Uh, there was something about the execution on this that was just a little generally lackluster. Not bad, but I think I could have and possibly should have, definitely should have, come out of this much more excited for the upcoming event, and I didn't. Oh, I'm I'm now I'm looking at that last page now. I'm looking around the room a little bit. Yeah, there are some interesting artifacts there, aren't there? And, and so for you too, it, it, you didn't pick that up the first time, and now that you're looking, at, no, oh, wait I lost a right over. I didn't even focus on that part. I was kind of focusing on who the dude was and what his yeah the ominous... main part of the reveal, not the other stuff. And it's like, yeah. oh, wait a sec. There's there's more to read in, or more to pull out of this image. To me, that's something that was ineffective both in the storytelling and a little on the art. And I didn't hate this issue. I liked it, but was a little underwhelmed. And it's one of those that, it's one of those that it didn't land the ending of the series. It didn't really do an unbelievable kickoff of the event. But for just a regular sort of issue, it was good. It, it had some moments, had some good stuff for the Guardians and, and moved the story forward. Four ninety nine, a little bit of a heftier price tag than than I'd like, but oh well. Uh, I think that's just kind of part and parcel of uh, of Marvel these days. Um, for me, I'm gonna go with a, a B minus. Um, again, what was on the page was good, but it was one of those things that there was a lot of of stuff going on, serving more than the purpose of just kind of celebrating the end of this series, um, which I, I really was really hoping it would do better. Yeah, yeah. So it yeah, it kind of missed the mark on a few of the expectations I had. I, I have it as a C minus. Um, if you are curious about um, what it's going to catapult into this, this Infinity stuff, um, just pull it off the rack at your local comic shop and flip to that page and take a look there and enjoy those little Easter eggs that I missed. <laughs> I'm wondering if they even factor into the the event they may not but it's it, it's a fun the, the artist had fun with that with that page though yeah shall we move on to our other book yes this is quarry's war number two of four this is part of the hard case crime uh line over at titan comics i uh did not pre-order this i read the uh the press pdfs of these i say these because i read the first issue as well so i'd go into this um uh, kind of, you know, up to speed. That's just the the kind of guy I am. And with that first issue, you know, it's funny because as I was driving home, I was thinking what I really ought to do for this part of the review is talk a little about the first issue, cut over a little about the second issue, cut back to a little over the first issue, back to a little over the second issue, and just keep jumping back and forth that way. Because that's how this story is told. Uh, through both of the first two issues, yes. Yes, they're jumping at first between July 1972 and July 1969, and then an issue to August of each year. And it's literally, the first page um, has a, a, a little of, of both stories, um, and then the next page is one part, and then the next page is the other part, and we just keep flipping back and forth. And it's like reading two different stories at once, with each constantly interrupting the other. It drove me nuts. It's not as bad as Batman's, where there were two different stories on the same page on the left and the right. I like, I, I preferred this one. Or when they do top and bottom sometimes on some comics. Yeah, 
Yeah. Sometimes it can be confusing. I didn't find this one confusing at all, though. It wasn't so much confusing as unengaging. I had to be keeping track of two different things at once, and it's not like there was, or at least maybe there is, and I didn't pick it up, a clear um, difference in the uh, color palette or something like that to remind me from page to page which, which, wait, which am I on? Um, and again, press PDF, maybe in print, it's always the left page that's one or the right page on the other or something like that. I don't know. Um the other thing that, that kind of bothered me a bit is there's a lot of this, more than I'd care for, that's told via narration. So it's more of an illustrated story than kind of a traditional comic story in places. And it'll it'll be heavy, you know, captions and then a couple of lines of dialogue and then heavy captions or something. And also, this felt like more of a war story. It's about a guy who, who was in the army or Marines or whatever at one point and becomes an assassin at another point. And because of the order they're telling the events constantly flipping back and forth and the two different time frames, it's a little hard for me to keep track of, wait, was he the assassin first and then went into the military, the military first, then an assassin? And it came down to, I just didn't care enough to figure that out. But if if there's a crime going on here other than him assassinating people, I didn't really pick up on that. Um, and this the, the, the quarry character, the lead guy, I don't find him overly likable or interesting. I... I don't dislike him, I don't hate him or anything, but there was nothing in these two issues that made me think, wow, I want to find out what happens next to this guy. Yeah, this is a interesting um, comic based on this whole series of novels on on this guy, Quarry, and I, this seems to be the third uh, in, the no- in the series of novels, so it's one of the earlier ones. And Was it a novel, or is this just set at that point in his history? Uh, it looks like the same cover as number one, and it's the same title. Yeah, but I, I what I'm wondering is, is that just where number one would fit in this timeline? Or is this um, based on a book? No, actually, and there's a bit of a spoiler in the synopsis of that third one. So if you if you flip and look at those those um, little thumbnails of the of the different novels, you know, it it, w- it would kind of spoil that for you before the reveal happens. Um, so uh, I, I guess I, my question is, is that saying what happens in this mini series and is this mini series an adaptation of a novel or is this just where this mini series would fit in the timeline of the novels that were previously published? I, I'm taking it that it's a, that it's a version of that pulp novel, uh, for more. Interesting. Check, okay. Check them out. And it's a, a way to, um, grease the wheels. And get and get you into these. And for me, it's kind of working. It's kind of made me uh, interested in these little pulpy novels and want wanting to check those out. Um, I want to find this. I want to check out the the Cinemax um, movie or or show of Quarry. I'd like to. I want to check that out. I don't currently have Cinemax, so I may have to get that through other means. And uh, but I do want to check that out and see how it looks on the screen as well. And it's one of the few types of things that I've. I mean, I've been, I've really been enjoying the hard case crime stuff. So, uh, this, this whole line has been really enjoyable for me. So, uh, it, it does make me interested in some of the other versions of, of this. And there seems to be quite an extensive library of this stuff. And I, it had been off my radar completely. I didn't even know Yeah, that this I was, was a pre-existing property. Same here. Um, um, I do like war comics a lot. Um, so, and I like crime comics a lot. So you push them together, even if you push them together and they're half and half, 
and they alternate back and forth. You've, you're kind of speaking my language. And I, I didn't think this disappointed at all. I really liked um, the main character and, and how he got from where he started to this new job. And it does seem like it's early on and not quite at the beginning because we're kind of dropped after a, he's already done a few jobs. Um, but we do kind of see, you know, the foundations of, of, of how he became who he became. And, um, so it's fun. And it, you know, you're to your point, it's possible that this ends and then you pick up that, that, that next, uh, that actual novel and it kind of picks up where it leaves off. It's quite possible because it is only four issues. So it's not a lot of pages to cover that much ground. While you were talking there, I actually pulled up a browser, went to Goodreads, looked for the Quarry series. There are 14 books, and we've got 14 things listed here um, on this this page of the whole Quarry saga. But what's confusing me is uh, they're listed in a different order on uh, on Goodreads in terms of the order they came out. I guess they were told non-sequentially, and this is putting them into sequential order on this. Yeah, I wonder. I wondered about that because it it di- it didn't put them in like year of release. It put them in e- in these groupings of um, when he was a broker, uh, whatever the list era is, and then after he retired, and they pulled him back in. Um, so that that was kind of an interesting way to group those. They were kind of like thematically, I guess, interesting. Yeah, and primary target was that renamed Corey's vote. Okay, um, I'm just trying to again correlate the two. Again, it seems like a rich narrative of universe or whatever here, but the the storytelling style of, of the comic here, and as best I can tell, it is not based on one of these novels, but at least not a novel of Cor- named Quarry's War. How about that? It may be a short story in Quarry's Greatest Hits, possibly, because that implies it's a... Uh, so there is no Quarry's War pulp novel um, in your... In not, your sequence of books, not that I'm seeing on Goodreads. Okay, um, but so it's... then maybe maybe that what they're doing is they're slotting the comic into the sequence of the novels, and the novels in the order they would have happened for the character, not in the order they were published. Yeah, which but, how challenging would that be as a as an author to not hard. tell? Yeah, I guess yeah, you know the character better than anybody. You can slot him into any time slot you want to. They do the same thing on like Star Trek novels and such like that. But the original stuff, Quarry, Quarry's List, and Quarry's Deal were all back, and Quarry's Cut, back in 1976-77. Primary Target, uh, which got renamed to something else, Quarry's Vote, I think. Now, the, um, orig- the very first one, uh, according to Titan, is Quarry. Well, that's what I'm saying. That one yeah. is listed as Quarry 8 in this list. <laughs> it's weird. And it's weird. Again, Quarry, just that, was in 1976. There were another few in 76, 77, primary target in 1988. Then we jumped to 2003 for greatest hits. And then uh, starting in 2006, 2008, 2009, 2011, 14, 15, 16, and then Corey's Climax. I'm not sure which year. It's one of those things that the thing picked back up as the the text page prior to this uh, uh, listing mentions. And it's Max Max Allen Collins who's done other comic work. Um Unless I'm confusing it with somebody else. Yeah. And this whole bit of every page jumping between the two timelines, um, I, it's one thing if you did it like every chapter of a book, 
okay, I could deal with that. Or even maybe every other issue like they were doing on Wonder Woman or whatever. Might not like it, but I could deal with it. But I'm only getting a small snippet before I'm jumping back to the other timeline and getting the other snippet. So I don't know how much of it was the interwoven storytelling that just got between me and the story. Um, and there may be other people that love it or, or whatnot because of this. But this just, it, it didn't work for me. Clearly there's an audience for this. 14 novels plus the comic series, whatever. Um, so you're, you've read half of the miniseries and you're not finishing it. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. I was mildly intrigued by the reveal on the last panel or whatever, but not so much so, uh, that I felt like continuing. And do you want the, the press PDF? Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll see you. <laughs> if I do read it, I'm probably going to go back through the thing and do like every other page. Read the the ninety six or the sorry the nineteen sixty nine era in one go without constantly being interrupted by the nineteen seventy two stuff. Yeah, because that I'm of the mindset that this constant intercutting is often done, not necessarily here but elsewhere, to hide weaknesses in uh, a story, and it it really got in the way of of the this between me and the story, and it, it drove me up the wall. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what they do after these after these first four issues if there becomes another volume um, or like so many of these other hard case crime they're kind of a volume and they're either three issues or four issues or five issues and they tell their story and then they go away and you don't see those characters again um, but then there's another um, noirish style um, comic in that line that's just solicited so um i'm curious what their long-term plan is for all these uh if if they're waiting for one to really maybe take off and then that becomes like maybe enormity gold which would seem to be one of the more popular ones um and and maybe that that becomes an ongoing or or there never was a plan to do an ongoing it was always to showcase what is available in the pulp novels I, i i'm not sure um, but I am enjoying these, and and this is one of the ones that uh, would go on the really good list for me. I, I really like this. I really like the war stuff. I really like the the hitman, the fledgling hitman, and and how he got his start. Um, and this is this is a character I I'd, I'd want to read more things about. Is the uh, Rivers of London part of the hard case crime stuff, or is it just another thing being done by Titan? It's just another thing being done by Titan. All right, because that one worked really well for me. This, um, yeah, um, I am wondering if you're right, if they're kind of, it's like we've got these other things in this, this imprint. Let's kind of adapt a couple, see if any really hit big, and if so, come back to that. Or maybe they're just doing a round robin, and in another few years they'll come back to this. I don't know. Um but if uh, if they do come back to this, um, I'm likely to maybe sample the the press PDF and see if they're doing this constant uh, cross cutting of stuff. I yeah, not for me. I'm going with a, a D plus on this. I I just could not get into the story for any duration for it to really get some momentum because it kept interrupting itself. Cool. I, I preferred it much better than the the Minky Woodcock that we sampled not so long ago, and, and this is along the lines of the better hard case crimes that I've enjoyed throughout 2017 and into 2018. Now I give it an a minus and I would uh, heartily recommend it for folks who are fans of Ed Brubaker, who are fans of um, any kind of noir 
crime um, comics, uh, it would be a really good fit for that. Cool. I'm glad glad it works for you. So this is the uh, first week of, of releases for 2018. Um, I've read uh, everything that came in my shipment. Yay! Now, do you notice the um, the new Walking Dead price point? No, actually, I uh, I didn't notice uh, didn't notice that. I, I honestly don't pay a whole lot of attention to the price point. Um, uh, I heard you and TJ talking about it on the trades issue about that's the, right. It's three ninety nine now. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 about Kirkman, you know, maintaining that two ninety nine, and in, and he has actually moved it up to three ninety nine, and even the future issues are solicited at three ninety nine. I don't know if there's plans for ever return. Or it's just because he's added creators to keep this thing coming out on time and he needs a little more money to pay them out of the pot. I'm not sure what the reasoning is. I I could send an email to Skybound to find out why, but um It's clearly a money grab. He's greedy. No, I'm kidding. In fairness to the it's guy, for him. it's I got it's it for him. Probably for the rest of the guys oh, that are on certain, the, yeah. the other hundred people on the masthead uh are in the credits for the thing in fairness it's been 170 some odd 74 issues or whatever before he did the price hike or whenever he did it um so holding a, a price point for that long is insane i'd like it still at the 299 price point but uh, i'm gonna be curious to see if it impacts the sales any gut feeling is it won't definitely not and certainly uh he, he you know should be paying his people what they're worth and it's second best ongoing uh, selling title out there. So, yeah. Uh, but no, I kind of glossed over that when I read the thing. One of the things that stood out to me is, um, you know, in, in the the hype surrounding um, metal and the excitement over uh, the Doomsday Clock stuff, uh, Batman White Knight kind of, kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. I mean, it's still it's a, a significant people uh, number of people have purchased it, but it didn't get the kind of the same uh, push as everything else. And for my money, uh, it's, it's stronger than both of those titles. Uh, I really think that um, Sean Murphy is doing a fantastic job on white Knight. We're halfway through this, this uh, eight issue series and um, it's really great, really great. And um, I really wish the timing would have been a little better for it. I think they, they had a hard time, pitching this and I'm not sure how they could have done it better to be honest because I agree it's it's kind of a quiet hit uh, in terms of it's really good much much better than I was expecting it was one of those like do I want to get this do I not when it was in the solicitation cycle it's not an event so I don't think it gets the same kind of spotlight that uh, Dark Knight Metal and or Doomsday Clock would or, or that it ever could get that but this is something that um, has a chance of doing pretty well on the trade side. I think it, it should be getting good word of mouth. It's, it's certainly great quality stuff. If they keep it going with the quality they're at for the next couple issues, uh, second half of it or whatever, I think, uh, it could do really well long term on, on the book side. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I hope he revisits this. Um, it, it's really a really great take on, uh, Jack Napier and the Joker. And it's, it's fun fun stuff so far i'm hopefully he sticks the landing i think he will um but then there was the cat the the kurt busick take on batman too that i think is two issues in and it's it's really good um but it's not really going to get the the attention either um it's just it's 
There's too much Batman. I was going to say, having those both going concurrently, I think, is more of a problem than having it going concurrently with, like, Doomsday Clock or something. Doomsday- well, metal. Metal. Metal, there's just way too much metal. Oh, uh, true, but I guess two alternate timeline Batman stories concurrently with uh, with uh, White Knight and whatever the other one's called, uh, which I'm reading, but its name escapes me. Yeah. Um, I like this better than the Busick one, but... Yeah, yeah, I like this better. I mean, it feels like it could be, um, you know, right in continuity. To me, this is an interesting twist on the Batman mythos that kind of makes sense. If I were building out the DC multiverse right now, this would have a spot, as would obviously Injustice and a few of the other things like that. Um, whereas the Kerpusic one, eh, it's a story, but when it's done, I don't know that we would ever want to need to go back to that world. Well, with Hypertime, White Knight could actually be canon, couldn't it? No, no. not really. Why? Uh, the way Hypertime was originally described is kind of uh, uh, eddies in the time stream, if you will, to get around the fact that Batman was in two places at once, things couldn't currently have happened that way, whatever, but it all kind of dovetails back and we're still in the same timeline. That's not really how it's being used today, necessarily, because they're diving in different uh, uh, multiversal timelines or whatever. Um, this is not something that could really stand in the current DC universe. It could be a parallel world, certainly, but it couldn't be Why? part of why, why couldn't this be the evolution of the Joker? Now, future timeline, kind of future story, possibly, but there's some things they've been revealing in the backstory that are subtle differences with some of these characters that I don't think the White Knight stuff fits the current canon as established. Does for me. You tend to be looser on the canon. I'm just going with what's on the page there. And to me, that doesn't make the story any better or worse. I think it plays better as its own thing than trying to dovetail it or cram it into uh the mainstream continuity. To me, it works better as an alternate timeline because it could then be kind of a cautionary tale for the main Batman or, or whatever. Or we could wind up with the one of the Jokers, because I guess there's a bunch of them now, whatever, from the mainstream universe. If they were to, to cross over, go into that world in the future story, and it would be Jack Napier versus the Joker. And I skipped the signal. I said, that's enough. I'm, I'm done. That's enough metal. Just finish this thing already. This was actually supposed to come out a while back before Metal even started, I believe. This is basically uh, continuing the, the flow or whatever the story arc for um, for Duke Thomas uh, and him not becoming a Robin. Um, so to me, I don't see this as part of the Dark Knight Metal arc. It's just part of the Batman mythos. From the pages of Metal. I don't think it would have had that had it come out when it was originally scheduled, which might have been prior to Metal. I think this is just a marketing tag they put on it because of the delay and when it came out after Metal. And because Duke is the signal in Metal. Fun story uh, in Captain America. I think Mark, I think we've said this before, but Mark Wade and Chris Samney, a good team on, on this title. And I think we may say that again in the future, I suspect. Because they're a good team on that title. They're a good team on that title. And uh, yeah, yeah, really good stuff. I, I, I thought Hawkeye 14 was great and... Um, it's a bummer that didn't find the the significant number of eyeballs to keep that thing going. It's when with both Hawkeyes on in the same book now, it's it's kind of crackling and uh, and going up to another level, and it, it's really fun. Yeah, I uh, I think it was a little too little too late. I think they should have had both Hawkeyes in there pretty much the whole time. I think um, yeah, it's probably a mistake. Yeah, that's the kind of book I would have been tempted to go do it a little more expensive, but give it a bigger page count. To where maybe one month, uh, uh, 
Kate gets uh, 20 pages and, and Clint gets 10. Maybe one month they split it 50-50, one month, you know, uh, yeah. more one direction than the other. Maybe another yeah. time they're both in the same story, so they get the whole 30 pages or however many. What didn't work was when uh, Fraction got started getting behind and missing deadlines in that volume, and they started going to a different creator doing the Kate stuff for a while and then bringing, then bringing back the Clint stuff for a while. And then once then they got and it, that, that didn't work. That yeah. just derailed it. Don't do that again. I am continuing to enjoy the uh, story with the super sons and the Titans of tomorrow and stuff. Uh, this week it was in Superman. Yeah. Um, I really need to go back and find the Titans of tomorrow storyline that this is pulling characters out of from, uh, pre-Flashpoint, just to kind of refresh my memory as to what era those characters were kind of the alternate future from, because they're not of this timeline. But it's fun, and I like those characters. And did you read the uh, uh, X-Men Grand Design number two? I started it, and I just checked the page count, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I need to be, I need to be more awake for this, because I want to I wanna be able to uh, enjoy enjoy it and not be, uh, be rushed, so I put it back down. How did it finish for you? Uh, it got to about the point I thought it would leading up to, but not including the, uh, the, uh, X-Men giant size or whatever, where we get the all new. And it was a, a combination as I had expected of what had happened in all of those from X-Men one to that point, uh, cool. along with dovetailing in flashback stories as needed. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Did it, um, did it give you a little pre, uh, pre taste of what's coming in the next volume? Uh, next volume, uh, I think they had, uh, Jean Grey Phoenix type stuff. Okay. Uh, and, uh, late, uh, 2018 is the time frame. Oh, really? Okay. This okay. probably this takes probably... a little while to put together. Yeah. 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 It, and these came yeah. out in rapid succession. True. Thanks for listening to John Mayo and I review a DC, a Marvel, and a other publisher's book. We do that each and every week. If you enjoyed that and uh, check back here. And you can also check out John's podcast, The Weekly Comic Spotlight. Check him out at the uh, the comic book page website. Thank you guys for listening. Drew signing off.